Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You are tuned in and listening to The Cinematic Odyssey here on U92 The Moose. This is an episode I've been looking forward to ever since the moment we scheduled this. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite films of all time from one of my favorite filmmakers ever. There Will Be Blood, the 2007 um, effort from Paul Thomas Anderson featuring Daniel Day-Lewis as the lead star. Um, as you guys have already heard me say, and Max, you've heard me say it so many times now, uh, I think this is the best film of the 21st century. Uh, I don't think there will anything... I don't know... I mean, it can certainly be topped, but for me, that is a feat that is extremely difficult for for something to top this, in my opinion, for this century. Um, but regardless, my opinion aside, uh, this, funnily enough, was actually filmed at the same time as No Country for Old Men, which is also another um, highly acclaimed film. Also, people consider that to be the Coen Brothers' best film, and that released the same year as well, 2007. And it beat and it beat this out at the Oscars for Best Picture, another big giant L from the voters, but not as big as an L. I can see the reasons why choosing No Country for Old Men. Uh, but regardless, uh, this film is based upon or adapted from Oil, a book from Upton Sinclair from the 20s, and a film, The Giant, or Giant, I should say, featuring James Dean. It came out in 58, 59, something like that. I think it was 59, uh, where it's about this, uh, this man who stumbles upon uh, an oil like basically his land is like family land has a bunch of oil underneath it. And so he strikes it rich. Um, yeah. So Paul, Paul Thomas, he had some influence from that film, uh, going into this work. And obviously, you know, Daniel day Lewis, I think this is one of those rare films where his performance kind of, um, like outshines everything else about the film. I mean, when you when you hear "There Will Be Blood," I'm assuming if you know about it, the first thing you'll think of is Daniel's performance as Daniel Plainview, which you know it's that's a given considering the um the gargantuan character that he portrays and plays in this film. I mean, he just it's such a rapturous uh, performance from him. Um, probably his best in his career. Uh, although you could say that for a lot of his work. I mean, that's just the talent that Daniel Day-Lewis is. Um, I mean, I think he's the greatest actor of all time. Um, so there's that as well. So, I mean, you have two people at the height of their talents, at the height of their powers, merging together, creating one of the greatest works of art in um in modern human history and oh my god it's amazing um basically what it's about it's about this 
silver miner turned oil prospector or oil man as he refers to him to himself as who is extremely greedy uh very selfish very ruthless brutal uh just a outright bad guy he's not a really good guy in any sense of the word he's not there's nothing redeeming about him uh and there's a lot of insidious things uh, that he represents um cuz cuz you know his character and another one who's also vital to the story Paul D- who's played by Paul Dano uh Eli Sunday uh these two characters represent uh two two of the most uh, influential and impactful um institutions in American history that being one capitalism and the other being the uh, American Christian church uh or the evangelical white white evangelical uh the white evangelical movement um in uh in this the history of this country spectacular yeah i mean beautiful i mean i i mean i felt like you were going to continue Oh, I mean, too. honestly, I mean, I was, I mean, Jew is, I mean, as, as, as you said, um, Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano are the headliners, as we say, um, for their performances also features really only one other actor that I knew at least before, um, having seen the movie, uh, Kieran Hines mm-hmm. has a supporting role, um, in the film, but then there's um, also features performances from Kevin J. O'Connor, Russell Harvard, who is a deaf actor, which is incredibly cool, uh, the kind of representation that gets uh, on screen, uh, and Dylan Frazier uh, as the young version of Daniel Day-Lewis's son, we'll put son in air quotes for now, uh, who... It, it, this this is actually his only uh, film role. The story with um, Freezer is they couldn't f- the producers couldn't find a a person a, who a boy who, to play the child um, well enough through like casting calls. So they began scouting local schools in Texas, and they ran into Dylan that way, uh, and. They got in contact with his mother. His mother actually pulled over one of their directors for speeding because she is a was a police officer, uh, but let him off with a warning. Is <laughs> a, as the story goes. That's funny. It is pretty funny, and the um the crazy thing is, uh, she goes and wants to know what kind of person that her son is going to be around, and so you know I haven't seen either of these films. But what I've heard, she goes and rents Gangs of New York, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, as a murderous gang leader. And she's like, no way, no way I'm putting my child anywhere near this man. And then they sent her a copy of the movie (laughs) The Age of Innocence, in which he's more, I guess, gentlemanly. And she's like, okay, I guess he can do the the movie. It's just acting. (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) I think there are two things that the performance of Daniel Day-Lewis kind of brings to this film that I feel kind of get 
missed because they're not on the top level. First is the stereotypical oil man accent. Well, yes, I'm an oil man. I'm an oil man. I'm a capitalist and I respect my community. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I feel like it's a poor American accent because he's English. Um, it, it, it's that slight miss. Like if I wanted to sound like a rich douche, that is the voice that I would use. Oh yes, I vacation in the summers. I go to this island off the coast of Maine. Things like that. I don't know. I I thought it was good. I, I mean, I didn't have any problems with his voice or his accent. I think it's just I've heard enough caricatures of the same oil man type. I think they're all based off of his performance here. Oh, I mean, heck, like you could go to the Adam Driver SNL sketch where he's the eighty-year-old uh, Abraham H. Parnassus, the oil man. I feel he kind of mimics the voice that Day Lewis does in this film, in 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 the sketch, in the sketch, skit, oh. sketch, sketch. And it, 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 it comes across, it's, it's, I think it's that influential of a performance that people have begun to mimic the way that he says things. Just in the same way that people mimic Heath Ledger uh, in his Joker, whenever they do Joker impressions. Not a lot of people are doing, pulling out Jack Nicholson for that role. I think Heath Ledger has the defining Joker for people to replicate and want to reproduce. Day-Lewis does this in this film. The other piece is that the leads, uh, or at least one of the leads and a large supporting character, Kieran Hines and Daniel Day-Lewis are English. Uh, Kieran Hines is Irish. uh, Day-Lewis is English. And that's, I think that again, it's beginning the the idea of what is actor training like for English actors versus American actors. And English actors get a much, much different scope of training than the American actor does. And so I was looking for this during the film, knowing that he's English, knowing that uh, Heinz is Irish, trying to pick out where this difference is. Because we've we've seen it a ton throughout um, cinema now, where... It's Brits who are playing, and, and Irish and European actors who are playing Americans and, and using the American accent. Just because they've been trained differently in the country, in the UK. Andrew Garfield. Uh, Tom Holland. Timothy Chalamet's American. Credit to him. But Sir Ronan is Irish. Um, Marco Robbie's Australian. Um, I'm trying to pull more names off the top of my head, and it's kind of difficult when my brain is kind of soup, but... You know, Benedict Cumberbatch... Benedict um, Cumberbatch? Uh, Rafe Ray Fiennes. Rafe Fiennes. Uh, Liam Neeson. Um, oh, who's the guy that plays Loki? <laughs> ah, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of talent. I just Elba, another guy. Exactly. Like, he's Absolutely. amazing. He's a he's very talented. Exactly. But that's the thing. The what they what the difference is 
that that ends up getting so many of these English actors and, and European and I guess foreign to extend to you know Australia and other countries is that they are taught to read a script differently. See, American American institutions tend to go for character and connection and bonding and circumstances. What is happening to this person? What is going on in their lives? Trying to ground it in realism. Because when Americans went to the theater or went to the cinema, they wanted to... Uh, what was the selling point was they were seeing life reflected back at them. That was the the a, a major selling point for wanting to go to see a play or see a musical or see a, you know, a movie. You wanted to see some form of life, some form of humanity reflected back at you. I mean... And it, it, it works, and it draws people in because it's that human connection. It's You're watching people experience emotions. The, some of the best acting is not the screaming fits um, that people tend to associate with great acting. It's what happens before that, what happens after that. It's the embodiment of the character yeah. is what Americans tend to go. English actors take a, uh, start with the script first going through emotion, going through what words are important. Why do I say this here? Why is this line important and placed at this moment in the script? What makes me say this line? Why does the person that I'm talking to have this reaction to the line that I say? And they, they work with um, basically the same methods that you would use for reading Shakespeare text of scanning and picking out operative words, the words that are the most important, the words that get the picture um, the most importantly. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. It's gonna happen. Uh, the, the famous line from this film, I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. It's in the way that the word is constructed, in the way that the phrase is constructed. I've abandoned my child. Abandoned. There's a lot of, it's a long word, but there's a lot of quick syllables in there. A lot of consonants to hit. And you can race through the word abandoned. Abandoned. You can say it very, very quickly. You can say it in almost the exact same amount of time that you can say I've. But I've isn't really a, a, an important word in that sentence. So you can rush right through that also we can kind of understand that it's my and you can rush right through that you don't have to say i've abandoned my child that it's not important we don't need that word it doesn't describe anything and then of course day lewis like just suspends his voice on the word child because the way that the vowel is in that word with the l in it he can hold that for as long as he wants. And whether he's being performative for the point in the show, uh, point in the story that he is uh, at, or whether or not he is genuinely believing that he's abandoned his son, he is still able to hold that out for anguish. And in, in being able to dissect the script like that, and going in on the, at that like that first on the way. By the way, Killian Murphy thought of another one. Um, yes. But um, <laughs> that's how they differ. That's how 
British actors get parts, and that's how British actors and English actors and European actors and foreign actors develop this these roles and, and are considered some of the better actors of their time. Alec Guinness, British. Um, I mean, a lot of people know him for Star Wars, but, you know, he was a big stage actor beforehand. Uh, you've got, like, Peter O'Toole, who I think was British. A lot of classic... I mean, Rex Harrison, big back in, like, the 50s and 60s. The Brits... Julie Andrews, for crying out loud. The Brits got parts because they knew how to read scripts. But that's that's the only that's the thing that I see a ton in here is Daniel Day Lewis. I'm 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 gonna differ with you here. I don't think that it's the acting performance of the century. I don't think this is the best film of the 21st century. But Day Lewis did win his second of three best actor Oscars for this film. And I do say with good reason because there are those little bits it's not just i've abandoned my child he's got so many other wonderful well, i don't even think that's bits. the best i don't think that's the best uh it's not part of his acting in the film i think it's i think the the part where he acts the oh i guess the best is when he's talking to his brother or his, his fake brother henry when they first have that conversation outside his like shack or whatever yeah. I think that's uh, his best um, moment in the entire film. That's kind of overlooked. Yeah. Because obviously the, the part that, well, the two parts that are always cited is, you know, the the scene where he's on his knees in the church and then at the end, the end of the film. Yeah. I think but, the um, first, yeah. Sorry. No, you can say. Gonna say the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes make it. You don't, I mean, you don't really need all the middle to uh, win the Best Actor Award. He, he kind of had it locked up from those pieces. The beginning and the end, that's all you need. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have so much to say. Um, I have a lot to talk about with, you know, with regards to the score by Johnny Greenwood, the cinematography from Robert Ellswit. Um, and obviously the directing and the editing from PTA and his editor, who, oh, for the life of me, I cannot remember. Hold on, I'm bringing it up. Uh, Dylan Titchener, Titchener, something like that. Um, but and, and obviously PTA wrote it as well. He loosely based it off oil. Uh, he only used like the first cup, uh, first hundred pages of the book because he only read it to kind of get a a full and more under uh, better understanding of like the oil industry at the time and the birth of it. Although there were two, there were two oil men in the book that Upton Sinclair, I guess, was in contact with uh, that. Daniel Plainview is loosely based off of it's Edward Doney and Harry Sinclair. Uh, those are the two men that are kind of what inspired uh, the Daniel Plainview character. And PTA was writing uh, his character specifically for Daniel Day-Lewis. And this this was the film that There Will Be Blood followed Punch Drunk Love, which was a complete tonal and uh 
like 180 like that film was nowhere near as epic and grand as and as serious as punch drunk love is or as was yeah is um because you know that that's a rom-com essentially but like kind of surreal sort of i mean i know you haven't seen it but i i absolutely love that film uh with uh adam sandler and emily watson but Daniel Day, he was a fan of Punch Drunk Love, and it didn't really take much convincing for him to to take the role as Daniel Plainview. All he all he had all he needed was you know for PTA to ask him, and he did, and he was on board. Uh, and the script wasn't even finished by the time that he got the offer, the job offer, and he accepted. Wow. Um, and funnily enough. Uh, one of you know one of the most famous lines from the film, you know, "I drink your milkshake." That's from a congressional hearing in uh, in the twenties regarding an oil an oil investigation, and a senator says that "I drink your milkshake" in in reference to um, drainage, which you know is an oil term that Daniel uses in the film. Um, but first off, I want to talk about the opening, opening like twenty minutes, um, there because there's a couple of set pieces in this film that I really want to talk about. The first one, obviously, being the opening, uh, from mm-hmm. like I think it's first twenty minutes, thirty minutes. I don't even know how long it is, but when there's no dialogue, yes, it's just music and like the ambient sounds that you hear of the actions that the characters are doing and what you're seeing. Um, well, first things first, I mean, I got to say, uh, Johnny Greenwood, this score is, wow. I mean, there's such an ominous and kind of, like, insidious undertone to it. I think like the way it's very droning. There's a lot of these droning strings that you hear with the violins. Uh, it's it's like a wall of sound essentially, just screeching and coming at you. Um, and it adds such an uneasy uh, atmosphere um, to the film. And you know, as we'll get into the other set piece later, but like in the first the first twenty minutes of the film, the way that uh, Johnny's score cont- uh, complements the shots so well. I mean, Robert Ellsway, I mean, this film is just stunning. It's such a beautiful film. Um, to make, like, barren land look interesting, I mean, that's a, an achievement. It's, a, it's an achievement. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, this is in San Bernardino. Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't shot in San Bernardino; it was shot in Texas. But you, you were gonna say, I mean, there is those, there are those moments with the score and and these lingering shots where they the strings they're playing different notes, they're playing different notes, and then they kind of lock together for that unison mm-hmm. pitch yeah. that's louder than any of the other uh, notes that's been that have been played before, and it kind of it, like you said, it's foreboding, it's ominous. Kind, I mean, I wouldn't say sinister, but you know, definitely, something's about to happen. It's not going to be wholesome. 
and yeah. it's yeah. it it puts it puts those little like the hairs on your arms should stand up, which mm. means it's doing its job. Yeah. Um. And we learned so much about Daniel in in these first in this first opening you know set piece sequence of the film when there is no dialogue. I mean, we see him in a mine shaft, like in a hole. You know, picking at the at the like rocks to find silver. He finds some silver <clears throat> and uh, lights a stick of dynamite up to get some more. Blows up, and then he climbs down the ladder, and then the ladder breaks, and he breaks his leg. And the hole's got to be like fifty feet deep. It's maybe deep. even more. It's deep. Um, and so he climbs himself out of that hole with a broken leg and drags himself God knows how many miles to sell the silver. Um, I mean, that right there is just, you know, the man that we're dealing with is uh, he will do whatever it takes to achieve his goal. Um yeah. Like it doesn't even matter. You can put anything in front of him; he's gonna find a way to to get past it. Um, which is so it's so interesting because we're introduced to um, his like his crew of oil men, I guess. Um, when he starts his like first well, um, yeah. in nineteen was in nineteen o two or whatever nineteen o eight. I think it was nineteen o eight. Or O two, um, yeah. Because the next one, I think the next shot, I believe, is O seven. After that, yeah. Um, well, or no, it's like nineteen eleven, nineteen ten, O two, and then eleven. Oh, nineteen eleven. Okay, and then the last one's nineteen twenty seven. Yeah. But anyways, and then we see him with his crew, and they're in a. They're in an oil well, whatever you call it. I don't know. I don't really know the terminology, but they're in a well. They're just trying to find oil. They strike it. They strike at it, and then we get the uh, man. I love this shot when they bring up that metal pipe from the well, and Daniel puts his hand on it and like lifts it up, and the sun rays are all around his hand, and you see the oil on his hand. And yeah, it's like it's shot. like kind of like a a rebirth of his life, sort of. You know, it's like the gold or the gold. Well, yeah, it's black gold, but the oil is like his messiah. Yeah. It's his savior. I mean, I, I mean, just I just think that's so brilliant. Um, you want to go deeper with that metaphor? Let's go deeper with that metaphor. <laughs> it's a savior, but it's the darkest thing. Uh, in the landscape, it's darker than the wood. It's darker than the pipe. It's darker than anybody who's working on this, uh, this task. And to this point, he's wearing a lot of grays and a lot of browns and earth tones to kind of because he's working out in the sun. It's a lot of that. But after he, you know, touches the pipe, has his hand coated in the black oil, which I don't know if you know this, black's the opposite of white. And white is usually, like, the savior stuff. So, like, for that to be the savior, you're realizing, okay, maybe he's kind of going the wrong way. What is this saying about capitalism? Gee, I don't know. But then, <laughs> most, 
most of the shots that we'll see of him later on, he's in a black suit. Black jacket or black hat or brown hat. Um, darker, darker colors. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to work out in the field. He's not in the sun. He can wear that dark coat and those dark pants and not have to worry about, you know, burning up. Yeah. Which is like that fun little thing like as you rise the ranks, you change the way that you dress. You change the way that you live. And so because he is now an oil man, as as he would so eloquently say, he can, he can wear suits. He can wear black and kind of embrace that, that darkness of, of oil and riches and power. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's a, I don't, I don't know if you can say it's a, a corruption of the soul. Cause I think his soul was already corrupted at that point. Even yeah. Probably before. I mean, he kind of was already driven uh, to, to become the most powerful, the most wealthy man ever. I mean, that yeah. was his ambition from the start. Um, but uh yeah um and then immediately after you know it's a happy scene or kind of, not really i mean i mean it's a happy moment for him but us as the viewer i mean given the music that's playing in the background and the contrasting images and you know what happens next it's like this is not good there's it's a bad omen and um one of his coworkers, he gets killed in an accident um, as they're like lifting the oil out of the well with like a very rudimentary system using buckets and pulleys and like very uh, weak like wood. I don't know. It's not. It's not the. It's very sketchy. I'm calling it ends up getting him killed. Yeah. <laughs> ends up getting him killed because he gets hit in the head. Uh, from a bucket filled with oil. And he leaves his son, who's like an infant, and Daniel basically just kind of takes him and is now his son. Um, <laughs> that's just kind of how it happens. <laughs> I mean, like, semantically, he didn't, like, leave his son. He died. He didn't have a choice. Well, no, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He did die. He died. So his son is like, oh, he 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 left. He abandoned his boy. <laughs> no, hey, he just died. My bad. My bad. Poor choice of words. <laughs> Child. Um, yeah. Sorry. But um. Yeah. Now he has H W Plainview, his his um adopted son. Who he now takes, and we see uh, as we jump in time, jump, yeah, jump. We go into the future, nineteen eleven, and we see Daniel speaking to a large uh, community of people who are trying to sell their land to you know either speculators or like oil men, whatever, uh, so they can get a lease on their land, make some money. Um, and we see the way this is the first time we see Daniel 
appealing to his familial uh, values, even though he doesn't really have any, um, to kind of get a better uh, a better approval from his potential clients or the people he wants to buy land from. And uh, it doesn't end up working for him. It doesn't end up working in this instance because uh, it seems like the community's t- torn on whether or not to sell their land to this guy. Uh, but he yeah. ends up going somewhere else to yeah. a family. He does his like family appeal again with the son. He lies to the family because they ask him where the wife is or where his wife is. He says that she died at childbirth. Um, well, we already know that's a lie. <laughs> we literally saw him take the child. <laughs> I mean, if if it's if it's anything, maybe that's like the one redeeming thing he does in the entire film. Maybe. I don't even know. Because like his motivation for it from the start was like not entirely pure. Not what it seems. And I I mean, that's an interesting conversation to have. I think like, do you know, do you think he loved his son or HW? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. On one hand, I think he does. But on the other hand, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of already spoiled my answer. I say no. I mean, I don't think that that's love. I think that even the story that he makes up is still so coded in rage and anger. Like, even if it's unjust, even if it's unconscious, there's still that thought of blame. Like, oh, my wife died in childbirth. I have this boy but I don't have the woman that I love anymore. He killed her. There's that little bit of subconscious blame that still gets placed. So even if, even though he, like, delivers this lie, it's still coded with such negativity. He doesn't say, it's not like the adoption was 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 based in, like, legality and and what's best for the kid. It's for appearances and marketing himself as a family man while branching out for oil. He, I do not think that this is a loving father towards his son. He wants his son taken care of, but I don't think that that's love. I think that that's, Uh, I'm rich. You should then also model the the standard of behavior. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's sort of um, where I go, because, I mean, I, I'll be honest, there's that shot in the middle of the film where H.W. kind of runs away um, after, I think, the, the, he sets the yeah, fire. He sets fire, he sets fire to the camera. There's, there's the shot where they go behind this bush, uh, like a scene after he says, no hitting of anybody in the community. I swear I thought he was just going to beat the crap out of his son. I, I was fully prepared for just them to disappear behind the bush and then just some sounds of whacking. He doesn't do this, by the way. They come back out from the other side of the bush. But, like, I was fully ready for kind of that hip hypocrisy to to just be blatantly displayed. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, um, he uh, the um, the family sells or leases their land off to him, so it works, mm-hmm. and he gets a well started there in Coyote Hills, I think, and we meet our first player. Our first uh, catalyst, our catalyst for the film and for all of its themes, we meet Paul Sunday. Funny name. You know, Paul, Saul, Saul on the road of Damascus. Christ um, intervenes because he was persecuting Christians at the time. Christ is like, no, no, no. And Paul, well, Saul becomes Paul and the rest is history. Um and last you name know Sunday. What? Last name Sunday. I wonder if that no. means something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but anyways, Paul Paul meets with Daniel and he tells Daniel, like, yo, I got a place that has oil. Give me five hundred big ones right now. <laughs> you're not wrong dan was like what hold on no 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 this is not how this works (laughs) but eventually he does tell him where he's from he's from little boston which is in san bernardino county which for non-californians uh it's a place where you don't want to live because nothing is there nothing good happens there um, I'm sure all my California folks that are listening will agree. But anyways, um, it's in Little Boston. He talks. He tells him about his family, the ranch. Uh, but he doesn't mention his brother, or does he? He does mention his brother. Yeah, he does. He does. He tells him about his. He does tell them about the brother. Um, but he doesn't tell Daniel. Uh, anything about his family other than uh, where they live and what they grow there. And, and Well, they don't grow anything there. It's just weeds and rocks. Um, and leakage and oil. Off they, off they go to the ocean of oil in Little Boston and sets off the chain of events. Um, and it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we first off, he meets the family, and then they, he's like, he goes under the facade, is like, oh, I'm on, a, I'm hunting quail with my son. You know, obviously he's not. He's looking to see if there's actually anything there. They find some oil um, that's been loosened up by an earthquake, and. Then they meet up and they proceed to lowball them like crazy. They give them quail prices in his words instead of oil prices for the land. Um, and in the meeting or the dinner, Eli, he's like, wait, wait a second. This ain't right. I know there's oil here. Why are you trying to lowball us? And then Daniel, Daniel, for once, he loses his temper and he he gets off away from his uh, veil, his facade that he puts up um, up until this moment in the film, where he's you know he's very kind, gentle, 
and respecting gentlemen and he loses he loses that cool and he kind of gets a little um heated with Eli um and also you know it's important to mention Daniel is not he's I would say he's an atheist yeah he's he's an atheist um m- most likely due to the fact that the the success that he had he you know that he has is in his view it's it's been made by the the work of his back or you know off the, off the yeah. back of his work whatever that term is um by his blood sweat and tears so to speak so he doesn't necessarily believe in a, a divine um figure mm-hmm. um like Eli does and you know, I want to say I got to give my props to Paul Dano for his performance, yes. for being able to kind of hold his own against Daniel Day in this film. Um, I mean, he's he's fantastic. He doesn't give enough credit. He's not given enough credit um, for his for his performance in this. I mean, I think he's very, very good. I think he's incredible. Um, Although in every scene that they do share together, obviously I think Daniel Day outshines him. Um, but regardless, I think uh, Paul Dano is still very, very good in this. And I think part of that too comes with age as well. I mean, there's that implicit power dynamic of Daniel Plainview's older than Eli Sunday. There's that power of he's got more money, he's got more means implicitly he's going to outshine him because that's the nature of who he is not just uh not just you know an acting talent but also within the structure of the story he will outshine him because he is the bigger person yeah and And, you know oh no continue continue. no i was gonna say just kind of i was really waiting for the twist that paul sunday never existed and it was really just one person the whole time but no, they acknowledge that the brother exists, and I'm like, okay, that's weird. They don't mention that they're twins, but they're twins, and then we only spend time with the second twin. Okay. I was waiting because, for kind of... Because uh, Paul is like a pariah. He's like a... Well, yeah. ostracized from the family, it seems like. Or he just left. I guess he, I didn't was... really like, he didn't really like his brother. I was waiting for the switch or I was waiting for that, that to matter more. Cause it kind of, when I first saw him, I thought, what's Paul doing back at the ranch? No, that's Eli. I'm like, Oh, Oh, oh okay. I, I, <laughs> I, I, it took me a second there. Well, it's funny. Cause like da- Daniel has that same exact reaction when he meets Eli, he has yeah. that double take. <laughs> I think that's so funny. He's like, Oh, Oh, you're oh you're oh you're Eli Sunday. <laughs> am I am I a better actor than Daniel Day Lewis? Let's discuss. Like he's, like he's meeting like he's meeting some celebrity. <laughs> like he's starstruck. <laughs> are, <laughs> you, <in> awe. <laughs> are you? Are you? Are you? Are. Can we do a selfie? Oh man, um, but uh, you know. That that's that that conversation that they have that starts the collision course and the 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 fight between their two egos, um, 
and it kind of balloons into well, one of them dying. Spoiler alert. Um, oh. By the way, if you haven't seen this film, what are you doing? Stop listening. Go watch the film. Okay. By the way, whatever you spo- Spoiler alert. There's blood. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind um, of promised, but you know. And, and, you know, throughout the entire film, they're constantly trying to one-up another. Uh, we see, you know, when they're preparing to start the, the drilling for the first uh, Derek, oil Derek, Eli, t- Eli basically tells Daniel, like, I'm going to bless the well. Um, very begrudgingly, Daniel agrees, or I mean, he's very sarcastic and is very offhandish about it. Off, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> and they get to the day when they're gonna start the the drilling, and Daniel gets Eli's younger sister, and. May the Lord bless this well and her. She's a proud daughter of these hills or whatever. <laughs> and we see a shot of of Eli just standing there with that like <laughs> face of disappointment. They start the drill, and that's like you know Daniel. He's he's up one zero against Eli, but uh, then his next. The next uh, round that they have, though, I mean, it's a pretty big L for Daniel. Um, are you talking although about a lot? Are what? you referring to the act of God that is the uh, pipe falling? No, 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 no. I'm not that's, talking about that. That's what I'm. I'm calling that an L for uh, for Daniel there. Oh, when one of the men gets killed. Yeah, one of his workers. I mean, I, I was referring to when specifically Eli and Daniel are like going at each other. They're butting heads with each other. I was referring yeah. to those instances. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although Daniel takes a, f- a few fair, f- few couple L's, but mostly, I mean, he does end up with the biggest L of all uh, isolation, um, and loneliness, and, uh, depression, and. <laughs> I mean, Hatred. I guess, I guess murder too. Yeah, mur- well, he does too. He does two murders. Spoiler alert. Oh, oh. Um, the the second set piece I wanted to talk about was when the oil strikes in the derrick, and the fire begins. Oh yeah, that whole sequence. Oh my god! Wow. I could watch that over and over again and never get tired of it. I mean, from from the Johnny Greenwood's like score there with like like the different percussion instruments. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like dude, there's like maybe ten? I don't even know. There's a lot. Um that's what it's mostly composed of. It's like percussion. Right? Am I wrong in that? I believe you're correct. Yeah, it's like all of its percussion. And the yep. way that it starts is um HW's looking watching um the oil derrick do its thing and then it blows up he goes deaf goes flying goes flying dude goes flying um skill issue to be honest I don't know why he's laying down there 
um, <laughs> right next to the oil, Derek. I mean, come on, what are you doing? You're just asking for trouble, bro. Um, <laughs> goes deaf. Um, Daniel grabs him, takes him to the mess hall, and he basically abandons his son to to you know to attend to his more pressing matter to watch his world change to watch the ushering in of all of his wealth all of his power boom it's like it's the baptism could you say that it went up in smoke <laughs> thank you thank you be here all week i mean <laughs> The pillar of fire is just so biblical, too. I mean, yeah. like, that, and I, I, that's why I kind of, I like to, anything unfortunate that happens to Daniel, I tend to chalk up as a win for Eli. Because regardless of whether or not you're faithful or not, or superstitious or not, these are kind of acts of, of God, of Daniel deliberately not respecting the laws, traditions, customs, and wishes of the people of the area and the area as a whole. He, him deliberately saying that he knows best and will stop at nothing to be the man, the myth, the legend, it is hubris, which is one of, I think, the, the great pieces about this film. Is that it, it? It's so good at like just. It is his hubris at its finest. He's like, I can test God. I am. I can shut down this religion. I can shut down these silly hick people. I am an oil man. Damn it. Uh, and by not showing that respect, by not showing that decency, that courtesy. I mean, obviously. Eli's not a magician. He doesn't make things happen. But, like, if you show that bit of respect and have that idea that you're not doing something wrong, no, no, I mean, he deliberately knows that he's slighting Eli the blessing of the well. If he lets Eli bless the well, maybe that little nugget in the back of your mind that thinks maybe this is all cursed and maybe this is all gonna suck, maybe that first, first, um, Worker doesn't get killed. Maybe the uh, yeah. the second well doesn't explode. Maybe the sun doesn't go deaf. HW yeah. doesn't go deaf. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, but it's all. I I see it as all punishment on uh, of Daniel for believing that he's so high and mighty. And you know, I mean, that's kind of the crux of the film is the battle between capitalism and um, Christianity. However, I don't know. I mean, it's not always a battle because sometimes they go hand in hand. I mean, a lot of the time. Well, let, let me clarify. Not Christianity, but like this very specific strain of Christianity that is only found in America. You know, the white evangelical... Um, Christians that have a lot of political power, um, a huge amount of influence in the way our country operates um, to this day. And 
<clears throat> you see this you see this war sort of not really a war because i mean at a certain point in our in our history um evangelicals and capitalism became one one and one and united in the same kind of uh goals essentially um but instead of capital working for well i mean obviously it still works for the capital owning class uh no duh but um you have christianity this this specific um denomination of it using capitalism as a vehicle to achieve its you know their political goals their theocratic goals uh, yeah. in this country um and in this film you know we have Eli and Daniel and Daniel obviously he he's like uh, a a perfect representation of a of a capitalist who's you know is very greedy um you know ruthless doesn't care about anybody else um almost cartoonish i mean in in the way yeah but like y- y- you know it's just that's just the way it is though um that's just how it is that's reality um no matter how cartoonishly evil he may seem that's there are people that are like that that exist um that's just the harsh reality and eli you know he's not all that clean either you know he's he's he sees himself as god and well absolutely that's not good because being you know from the perspective of being a christian obviously there's only one god you can't see you can't idolize yourself because he likes the power he likes the attention of his congregation and he wants to be able to say hey look at me i can i can tear this man down i can tear this institution down um by myself but obviously that is not the case because capital dominates everything it is our way of life it has become our religion in america essentially and i think mm. that's what the ending kind of symbolizes is the death the death of any sort of type of like separate um ways of life that one could have in america where you can kind of be somewhat separated from capitalism in a way uh but yeah. you know nowadays it's inseparable you can't you everywhere you go it's in front of your face and if you're not born in a family of immense wealth i mean your your life is not going to be easy yeah uh, um to to be in a comfortable position i mean that's just the I way mean, it is yeah and if you're ready let's let's talk about that end i mean the ending i think is some of the best acting I've ever seen. It is very good. That that scene is fantastic. Yes, yes. Because yes. Daniel Plainview is broken. Daniel Plainview is alone. 
Daniel Daniel Plainview is drunk and rich. Not happy. He's chilling in his bowling alley. As one does. Passed out in the lane. Next to a bottle. A bunch of other stuff scattered around. But I think what... And again, if, you, if you've made it this far and you're like... I haven't seen the movie, but it sounds super good. Go and watch the movie before I say this so that you actually... um you know, are affected by the end instead of just like, oh yeah, I saw that coming. Why did I sit through two and a half hours of this? The... <laughs> I think the important thing is who lives and who dies. And not, not just... like It's like exactly as you said. Um, the death of... I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna place Eli as the death of righteousness. The death of faith the death of the person living for something more than themselves the transition from this being a nation of religious freedom and people coming here ever since the pilgrims coming here to seek religious freedom and be free of the tyranny of you know any miscellaneous european empire Coming here, forming up churches, forming up like the church was always like the foundation of of the American life in 1700s, 1800s. But as we're getting to this point, there's, I mean, you're getting the uh, what's the what's the phrase? What's the what's the AP U.S. history phrase? The, the um, not industrialists. It's like um, Carnegie, Rockefeller, the monopoly, uh, the monopolists. Like the, I guess. the big capitalist guys. Yeah, I yeah. guess that's the yeah that's the one. I mean, I mean, the idea of instead of being God, the one that people would all chase, it's now money. When I think I think m- money becomes God. Yes, that, absolutely. That's the shift. That's the major shift in the American way of life. The American dream. The yes. American dream. It's no longer yeah, it's no longer about coming here for liberty. It's about coming here for opportunity even though there is not that much of it any any anymore. Um but like the dream is to to basically sell your life, sell your soul to make as much money as possible. And that is to do it as selfishly and as as much as you can. It doesn't matter what obstacles are in your way, you gotta do it. Because that's like the that's the capitalist dogma that's been kind of taught to us throughout our childhood and in school and and all these things. Um but yeah, I mean it's <sighs> And what makes this I think effective is the fact that while this is a period piece and while this does look back on a specific time, and it absolutely applies with the timeline that is laid out, that, you know, ending just prior to the Great Depression, ending with money not being king, and the the death of righteousness, the chase of money, and then there being immediately no money, the foreshadowing the Depression. Haha. Um, you also can can relate that to the present time you can relate that that to where we are now 
and we can say, you know, SAG after workers have been on strike for 117 days, and they are still going. They are still working for a um, fair deal with studios who are continuing to chase more money. They're going to raise the prices of every streaming service and and what it, it costs to use it with the same amount of uh, features that you've been using. They're going to reduce features if you're going to stay the same. And they're going to uh, put the burden increasingly on the consumer to support their profit margins while they don't give actors a fair deal and while they held out on giving writers a fair deal. It's been 117 days. Yeah. As of the release of this episode. They're not budging. They're not changing. It's still the the chase for money. It's the chase for power. It's the chase of greed. Do you really need an extra billion? Do you need that extra billion in profit? I get that business success is measured in profit. But at what point does it become unnecessary and you are sacrificing your product for your money. And it, 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 it's happening, I feel like, again, with, with everything that happened since the pandemic and the increase in, in corporations, you know, buying up and growing bigger and bigger. The idea that everything has kind of been given to them they can charge what they'd like for whatever they'd like and the american consumer either has to deal with it and and sit down and shut up and let the um let them charge whatever they want or inconvenience themselves so that they create massive institutional change neither of which i see happening super soon it's 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 still relevant which is what i think makes this film impressive because while i was expecting a period piece while i was expecting something that took place a long long time ago i know you were a fan of the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. <laughs> but that movie does not do that. That movie does not have a theme that, that I, I, at least in my viewing of it, it does not have a theme that makes it to today. I don't think it has a good theme, period. Um, <laughs> it could have been a great film. Andrew Dominic sucks. That's my opinion. Sorry, Andrew, if you're listening. But, um, like, this, it's actually, it's, it's relevant to the time period in which it takes place, and it's relevant beyond and in perpetuity, which makes this an, an incredibly effective film, which I, I can understand why you hold it so highly. Mm. That, that's sort of where I'll rest there. I mean, I can, I can see it. I get it. Okay. I don't agree with it, but I see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, that's hey, that's fair. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. 
success. Uh, yeah, the, the, the. this is easy. <laughs> hey, this I is mean, easy. ultimately, hey, we we all have our own opinion. Yeah. I mean, it would have been interesting if you didn't like the film. That would have been funny. That would have been, been really that interesting. Been a funny uh, episode, that's for sure, because I would have been oh. absolutely mind blown. How could somebody not like this? I would have. I would have called Daniel Day Lewis a caricature Disney Channel villain, and uh, <laughs> asked if only his mustache goofy, was longer. Goofy odd Disney Channel villain. Yeah, exactly. We just. Oh, that 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 mm, memories of a d- different movie. Of a different time. I will say that this is the, the the of the three that I've seen. This is the best Paul Thomas Anderson that I've seen. Well, good. Which good. I'll be I'll be honest, wasn't hard. Wasn't hard Whatever, to top. Man. Wasn't Whatever. hard to top that list. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> didn't need to well, do much. You still have a lot to go. I mean, you got Phantom Thread, The Master, Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights Punch Drunk and Love. Punch Drunk Love. So, at least you know, we'll get there. I, yeah, we'll get there. But um, yeah. I mean, I just want to also quick mention, like, in the middle of the film, his um, Daniel's like brother, quote unquote, shows up, and it's not really his brother. He's lying because he's also trying to weasel his way into into getting rich um but he's not as like evil as daniel is his motives are like kind of backwards i mean he's straight up lying to daniel about being his brother which is you know that's pretty messed up um it's a dog eat dog world and uh you know they have that conversation outside of Daniel's like house or shack or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the moment where I think uh Daniel Day um that's like one of the best moments in in the film is when he's talking to Henry um and he's talking about himself and he's like, you know, I have a competition in me. I only see the worst in people. You know, he's kind of he's kind of detailing everything that he's about he's come he's mask off about it all um and also a little interesting thing you know when he's buying up all the land in the in the county isabella county he tells he tells the residents like you know we're gonna build schools here we're gonna build it we're gonna make irrigation we're gonna we're gonna let you guys build you know grow crops here all these things, right? He makes all these promises, and we never see that. We never see any of that come to fruition in the film. Um, I mean, the church keeps renovated, but I think that's because Eli keeps pushing. But it, but uh, but Eli, Eli never even gets the five thousand dollars that he's uh, owed because he mentions it when he sees him in twenty seven. He's like, you know, the five thousand dollars plus interest that you owe me. Um. And he doesn't, he never even paid him. <laughs> uh, those oil men, always delinquent in payment. It's, it's so funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then he kills Henry once he finds out that he's not his brother. Uh, that face he makes right before he 
he shoots him is kind of terrifying, Loki. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the whole, the whole, um, every every bit of the monologue before he chases down Eli is terrifying too. The the body language, the hunched over oh, him, man. I the the spit, the I drink your milkshake is so sweet. <laughs> I'll drink drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Well, wonderful, Daniel. I'm glad that you've drunk uh, the milkshake. But tell me, does the milkshake bring the boys to the yard? (laughs) Inquiring minds would like to know. Sure does. Sure does. (laughs) (laughs) You saw those men showing up? You saw those oh. dudes showing up, bro? Oh. To get a drink of that milkshake, though? That ocean of 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 oil? I was supposed to say milk. But, uh... <laughs> is, this, is this the transition we're hoping for? I know. I mean... All those, hey, all those dudes showing up? All those dudes showing up. But speaking of dudes, there was a lot of dudes in this. <laughs> and all these dudes were wearing clothes. And, uh... <laughs> it's such a bad segue. That was we're so starting good. a new we're starting a new se- segment on the show, um, where we're gonna be we, we're gonna be giving our opinions on who has the best drip in the entire film. Which characters got the the hottest outfits? Oh, Who's yeah. got the tightest tightest fits? Um, we're I think we I think we could do this for every uh every episode from now on. I think it'd be fun to do. Oh, absolutely! I'm totally yeah. in. Yeah, because um, I saw I saw Eli's fit in the in the very end when he's wearing. I mean, it's just like a normal suit. I mean, it, it's a very well fitted suit. It looks clean. It's like a black with like kind of gray pinstripes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the the I think what makes it so cold and so hard is that that giant iron cross like silver cross that he's wearing over his tie i mean dude that little touch there just makes his fit look so cold i don't know i that's my favorite fit in the entire in the entire film it's a good one it's a really good one i mean i go the opposite direction i mean i think that I think that Daniel Day-Lewis, the mustache that he sports throughout this film is fantastic. And it works really, really well with the suits. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but I agree. I think that the outfit of the drip of the show, of the film, is the uh, his opening outfit. The one that he breaks his leg in. The suspenders and the gray uh, long sleeve shirt. I think it, it ties in well with the beard. I mean, I think that's just a that's a it's a clean, good working outfit, and I I've seen people wear that out for nice occasions now. Like that's the that's in <laughs> it's in now. You used to work the mines with that thing. Now you're just out on the town and suspenders and a freaking nice pair of slacks. Or sorry, no, no, it wasn't slacks. You it'd be dungarees. Dungarees. You're rocking your dungarees, your corduroy. <laughs> You're out shopping. 
just flexing with the, your ankles showing for the whole world to see. I got my I got my Dickies corduroys on, my Dickie work pants. Ironically <laughs> enough, which is like a fashion item now. I actually I bought a pair of um, those black, like the original Dickies pants, like the OG work pants. I bought a pair in oh, black, dude. They are so nice. They are so nice. Only thirty bucks. Not you bad. See? You see, Not you bad. too can work in the oil mines and become an oil man. <laughs> I'm an oil man. I want um, that to be the soundbite that we use so I bad. <laughs> I'm an oil. <laughs> I drink your milkshake. <laughs> I drink it up. <laughs> Drainage. Delicious. Drainage. <laughs> it's so funny when he's like, he says, uh, well, he mentions Paul. He's like, hey, you know, Paul was the one. He's the chosen one. He was the smart one. He came to me yeah. and I, he showed me the land and I gave him $5,000 on the spot. Boom. Just like that. L. <laughs> you're, mean. Just, you're just, what does he say to Eli? He's like, you're just the afterbirth, Eli. Yeah. You're slithered out on your mother's filth. They should have put you in a jar on the mantelpiece. <laughs> I, I, I think I said, I think I let loose a string of awestruck expletives before the, in that scene. I was like, oh my god. But what I wouldn't give for the moment after Eli's death to have the uh, Wii Sports voice come over and say, nice spare! <laughs> because, you know, he gets oh some of the bowling pins. Gosh. Yeah, he gets... <laughs> wow. he, he, he's bowling, and, you know, and just... And nice he thinks shot. About it. He thinks about it. Daniel hesitates for a second, and then he's like, all right, bet. Boom. <laughs> that was brutal, man. That was such a brutal, like, kill. I mean, we don't see it on screen, but the sound of it, oh, gosh. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. And I, then he's I mean, like, we... well, no, what were you saying? I mean, we were told it was going to happen. Yeah. It would yeah. be blood. Yeah. And then, um, He's like, I'm finished. And then the music kicks in for the end credits. Oh my god. I I I you know that SpongeBob meme where he's flying into heaven? That's me. That's that ending when the music kicks in and then it says there will be blood. Uh um, I tell you that on, font, on the though. screen. I'm 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 turning into an angel, dude. I'm flying up to heaven when that when that Johnny Greenwood score kicks in. It's 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 heaven time. <laughs> it's heaven time. Oh, for those of the, those of you that don't know, Johnny Greenwood is a member of this you know this, this indie band. No one really knows about Radiohead. I don't know if you've heard of them, Max, but it's this little band from from the UK. Um, yeah, he's a member of that band. Is he? And that, is he really? Yeah, he is. You didn't know this? No. Oh my! No way! You didn't know this? 
my god well i mean it makes so it makes so much sense why he he made the music so ominous and 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 you know foreboding it's because he's a creep I need. I, I love the face no, that you just no, made. I love it so much. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I'm leaving. Bye. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, tune in next week <laughs> when we do something else. Oh yes, the square. The square. Ruben Usland. Parallelogram. Is Ruben Usland my favorite director? We'll find out. Is he yeah. the most geometrically? I mean, only one of his films. Exactly. But is he the most geometrically inclined director? Maybe. <laughs> He's won two or three Palm Dior's? Two? I think just two. Okay. Because I've I think seen it, uh, Force Majeure. I've seen that film. I think that was up for the Palm Dior. I don't think it won. Yeah. That one Square was really one. That, that film was really good. Force Majeure. Square, Square One and Triangle of Sadness won. Yeah, okay, okay. For sure. God, those sweets. <laughs> man. I'm excited. Oh, man. So, do you have a pick for best film of the century? Or, like, is there something that you've seen that you're like, oh, Definitely at the moment. Like that's I mean, you obviously haven't seen everything that's released in the century. But of what I have seen, I I mean I think it's my number one. That's my number one. Film of the century. I mean, I think that There Will Be Blood definitely deserves to be in the conversation. Especially with all the the relevance and the, the symbolism and the 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 deep, deep running metaphors that, that live in this that script. I think I mean, I'll be honest. I haven't seen enough of them to consider, you know, saying this is the film of the century um, so far. But I will say that if you're not including Ryusuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car in that conversation, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I enough. think Fair I think enough. that 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 film is an absolute masterwork. And I would watch that so many times, so, so many times, just because you get sucked in. It yeah. doesn't even appear to be as long as it is. The dialogue is transformative and the message of continuity amidst, you know, great misfortune and sorrow and sadness is beautiful. Also, City of God. City of God. Oh, that that's right. That's O2. Yeah, it's oh, that's a good one. That's brilliant. I mean, I'm more biased towards recent stuff because that's the stuff I've seen. Uh -huh. um, as it's been coming out, as well as, you know, for, for this podcast. I am trying to branch out. I'm trying to get there. I don't have time now. I'll have time yeah, we'll later. Get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. He tuned to my letterboxed in December, late December, because oh god, there's gonna be so much on there. It's yeah, well, gonna we be do the, we do the year in review. Yeah, uh, I mean, episode. I'll have time to stream then, so I can actually watch more stuff. Nice, be great. 
but yes, next week, um, Ruben Osloon's The Square. I don't know anything about it. I'm going to be honest with you. All I know is that it's his film, and it won Palm Dior, and the year it released, and um, uh, it involves a square. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you, do you know anything about it? Like, I'm assuming uh, nothing. Do. Nothing that I can add on to that. Um, I feel like it follows his his usual trope of of social satire, uh, in that kind of way. Let's see. Yeah, drama comedy, same, very similar to um, Triangle of Sadness, at least in genre. I see. A prestigious Stockholm Museum's chief art curator finds himself in times of both professional and personal crisis as he attempts to set up a controversial new exhibit. Love it. That's the synopsis on uh, Letterboxd for it. I'm into it. I'm excited. I'm 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 ready. It's been a while. When was the last time we did a social satire? Um, <laughs> it's been a minute. I think. I don't, I don't... Yeah, it's been a while. It's been at least yeah. um, a few weeks. Time to get back to our bread and butter. And that's right. That's right. It's gonna be fun. That I. That's gonna be fun to watch. Agreed. But um. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's coming been, up. That's been the Cinematic Odyssey. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, please, I I beg you, listeners, I beg you, our loyal listeners, if you haven't watched, there will be blood, and you've reached this far. Find two and a half hours. Somewhere in your schedule this week, go watch that film. Go watch There Will Be Blood. You will not regret it. I I assure you. Um, even better if you could find a theater that's showing it by some miracle on a blue moon. Because you know, if if there was a theater in L.A. that was showing There Will Be Blood, you know I'm racing to watch that. Um, but yes, go watch There Will Be Blood and uh, watch The Square in preparation for next week's episode from Ruben Oslund. Um, this has been the Cinematic Odyssey here in the United to the Moose. There Will Be Blood forever. <laughs>